Folks, I'd like to speak to you this evening about the holiness of God. We started a new series last week in Galatians. Uh, We'll pick it up next week. But this evening, I I want to do a bit of a one-off and to think about this, this topic. That's quite a job to take on to speak about the holiness of God. It's a bit like speaking of the wetness of water or of the brightness of light. Maybe you'd join me in praying for a moment just that God would meet with us and speak to us. Let's pray. Father God, because you are so kind and gracious and merciful to us, because you welcome us into your presence, because you allow us to call you Abba, Father, Sometimes we, we mistake you for, for someone other than you are. We forget about your holiness. We forget about all those ways in which you're entirely different and wonderfully beyond us. Lord, would you meet with us this evening? Give us a clearer picture from your word of your true character. And Lord, as that picture becomes clearer to us, Show us how we should live in the light of your holiness. Amen. I want to be honest with you right from the outset here this evening. Getting your head around the holiness of God when you live in Belfast in 2009 is not an easy thing to do. There's nothing much in our culture that's conducive to understanding God's holiness. It's not the kind of thing that you're talking about day in, day out with your friends as you meet in coffee shops and in restaurants. There's not a lot of stuff about holiness on YouTube. This is unfamiliar territory to most of us. I thought we'd begin this evening where we're really at. I wonder what you think of just when you hear the word, when you hear that word holiness. As I prepared to come and to speak to you this evening, uh, before I pulled out my Bible or any theological texts, I tried to dwell on my own preconceived ideas of holiness. In particular, I tried to think of what kind of a person I'd apply that adjective to. I tried to think of, of holy people. I scanned the hard drive of my memory to see if hidden away, there, there were any people there who seemed to me to, to fit that bill. Do I know anyone or do I remember anyone from a previous period of my life who seems worthy of this description holy? As I thought about it, one or two figures began to emerge from my memory. I, I've, I can vaguely remember times in my life when I'd hear people talking about someone and they'd say, He's such a, a man of God, or, or she's so holy. And as I let my memory settle on these uh, few isolated individuals, and as I, as I brought them side by side, I noticed some patterns begin to emerge. They tended to be older people. It seemed to me like you have to be retired to be considered holy. They were always nice people, 
the kind of people who wouldn't offend anyone. They never appeared to be angry, at least not in public, uh, the kind of place where the rest of us would notice. They were never in the wrong places or with the wrong kind of people. Uh, I don't know, maybe that gets harder to do when you're retired. Maybe it's harder to fall into bad company and to get into trouble. I see some people smiling. I hope it is true. Very often, some of these folks didn't seem all that aware of what was going on in the world around them. They may have had a wonderful knowledge of, of what was happening with missionaries in China and India, but they may have been less aware of what was happening with the single mum living next door or, or the prostitution and drug addiction, which is rife in a city like ours. These people we revered in the church. Uh, we were impressed by their long prayers, spoken often in a, in a low, hushed voice, often with lots of old-fashioned language. They seemed almost otherworldly. Folks, there are a lot of stereotypes in here. I, I'll admit that. But on the whole, these are the kinds of people, the one or two that I can think of, who in my life deserved a badge something along the lines of holy. With those preconceived ideas, I very quickly came to the conclusion that holiness was not for me. I never said so out loud, but in my heart of hearts, I just thought, I'm not that sort of person. I don't think I ever will be. I'm not even sure I want to be. Holiness isn't for me. I'm going to come back to that question a little bit later in our thinking together about what holiness looks like in a human being. By the time we're finished here this evening, we may have to radically rethink our whole understanding of what holiness really looks like. I want to spend the next few moments with you building up a picture of what the Bible teaches about the holiness of God and really, the, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, we're not short of wonderful biblical teaching about God's holiness. There's probably no aspect of his character emphasized so much as his holiness. God is holy in the way that human beings are human. Holy is what God is. So let's, let's try and work out what that means. When the Bible speaks of the holiness in God, there are two particular aspects that dominate. The first is his separateness. God's unique. He's totally different than any other gods or than any other created thing. Whenever Moses and Miriam celebrated God after he brought them out of Egypt, they focused on his uniqueness. They said, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? And the implied answer, of course, is no one. No one is like God. He's absolutely super powerful. He's entirely majestic. He's unapproachable. God is absolutely out on his own. God is holy. The first aspect of God's holiness is his separateness. 
The second aspect of God's holiness that comes through in the teachings of the Old Testament is God's moral perfection. We get a picture of that in the passage which we just read in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has his vision of God. That's dramatic in and of itself. He sees God seated on a throne, high and exalted, seraphim calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. But the thing that strikes Isaiah is God's moral perfection. As he's confronted by a perfect and pure God, he's acutely aware of his own sinfulness. Woe to me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. God is separate. God is morally perfect. I wonder what you make of those, those elements of the Bible's teaching about the holiness of God. I'm thinking particularly here this evening, if you'll forgive me for a moment, I'm thinking particularly of the younger members of the congregation. You guys are part of what they're calling a, a postmodern generation. The analysts would tell you, the commentators would tell you that postmoderns Generation X and Y, whatever label we want to put on them. They're a generation that don't sit well with authority and tradition. The values of respect and reverence, which were so much part and parcel uh, of the lives of our parents and of our grandparents, those values are ones that we don't easily and naturally adopt. So whenever we come together together in church, whenever we gather together to worship God, we're more at ease and more relaxed than probably any generation in the history of Christian worship ever has been. Can I tell you this evening, I think that's brilliant. I think it's wonderful when our churches are freed up from empty institutionalism, from hollow traditions. We were thinking this morning about the dangers of churchianity. I think it's brilliant when we're more and more ourselves in the presence of God. But at some times, and in some places, we go too far. We talk to God and about God without any reference to the holiness of God. We forget that God is separate. We start talking about God and about Jesus as if they were just one of our mates. We forget God's moral perfection. We act as though our sinfulness is, is trivial, no big deal really. Can I encourage you, particularly as younger men and women, keep an eye to the holiness of God in your worship and throughout your entire lives. God is different than us. God is perfect and pure. He's holy.
we're thinking this evening about the holiness of God. The holiness of God has huge implications for the people of God, and it's always been this way. You see, from the very beginning, God, who is holy, has drawn human beings into His his holiness. It's a repeated theme of the Old Testament. God says to His people time and time again, be holy because I am holy. For example, in Leviticus 19 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We talked here a moment ago about the two aspects of God's holiness, His separateness and His moral purity. This is what God wanted in His people. God's people were to be separate from the people around them. In, in the times of Israel, God asked them not to intermarry with other nations. He didn't want them to be drawn into the same cultural practices, the same worship of idols. They were a chosen people, a holy nation that He had chosen to carry out His purposes in the world. God expected them to be separate, but also to be morally pure. He gave them and called them to a way of living that was distinct from the immorality of the nations around them. And so we have the law of Moses with all its provisions for how God's people ought to live out everyday life. Folks, if you're familiar at all with the story of the Old Testament, you'll know how God's people struggled to live out His purity. They struggled to be holy. They didn't keep separate. They intermarried with their pagan neighbors and worshipped pagan idols. They didn't keep God's moral law either. They failed to protect the weak and they exploited the poor. So being holy as God is holy proved to be beyond God's people Israel. If you're familiar with the story of the New Testament, you may know that God's people were still struggling with this question of holiness at the time of Jesus. Holiness had become the number one item on the agenda in the Judaism of Jesus' day. For some devout devout Jews, and we were thinking about this this morning, the Pharisees, for example, holiness was the answer to all of Israel's problems. If God's people would only once more be truly holy, then God would act on their behalf and He would defeat their enemies. If only God's people would be truly holy, God would come to their aid He'd kick out the Romans, and He'd set them free. So they were relentless in their pursuit of holiness. They looked at the law of Moses, and they said, Moses, you're not strict enough. We need new and extra laws, extra traditions. So they made loads of supplementary laws. They made life into this legalistic framework. We saw it this morning in Matthew 15, the Pharisees imposing these kinds of laws on their people. They wanted to go the extra mile. They had this extremely demanding religious framework in place, and they wanted to demonstrate to God their holiness. This is how they tried to fulfill God's command. 
Be holy as I am holy. 2,000 years later, many of the people of God are still engaged in the same struggle. We're still trying to work out how to be holy as God is holy. Maybe you've come across the churches that add law after law, tradition after tradition to God's own law. We talked about it this morning. It's the stuff about how people dress, which version of the Bible they use, what they eat and what they drink. It's always been this way. This is how we pursue the holiness of God. We call people to a tighter and a tighter and a tighter lifestyle. That was the way of the Pharisees. It's still the way today, oftentimes. But it's not the way of Jesus. I want to spend the rest of our time this evening thinking about Jesus and what he does to this whole question. Whenever Jesus arrived on the scene, he simply blew up all the holiness categories of his day. To the religious guys of his day, Jesus didn't even qualify as holy. They didn't understand that he was holy. Time and time and time again, they tried to accuse him of breaking the law of God. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was entirely unholy, a radical upstart, a rebel against God. They, they knew that Jesus wasn't holy. It was as clear as day to them because he hung around with the wrong kinds of people. In Matthew chapter 9, we read of the time when Jesus went to the party at Matthew's house. Matthew, the tax collector, he'd made his money by ripping off people. His friends were all the wrong kind of people. And here Jesus is, rubbing shoulders with, befriending Matthew's friends. Here's the one who claims to be the Holy One of God, and he's hanging around with sinners. The Holy Ones of Jesus' day knew that he couldn't be holy because he didn't keep their rules. In chapter 12, Matthew tells us of the times when Jesus dared to heal someone on the Sabbath. The religious leaders went mad. They wanted Jesus to to keep his disciples in line. They wanted him to behave according to the rules, but he refused to do it. Matthew tells us the response of the religious leaders. They went out and they plotted how to kill him. Do you see what's going on here? These religious leaders had such set ideas about the holiness of God and a human being that they didn't even recognize God when he came among them and stood and preached and healed right before their very eyes. Jesus challenged them to rethink their notion of the holiness of God. But they weren't willing to. Instead, they killed him. You know, I think, and I said this this morning, a lot of our churches would still be chasing Jesus today. 
we wouldn't recognize in him the holiness of God either. He'd not fit with many of our preconceived ideas of holiness. Remember the picture of the holy man or the holy woman that I asked you to, to think about at the start of the service? The retired man or woman always smiling, never causing offense, never in the wrong kinds of places with the wrong kinds of people. They're very spiritual, almost otherworldly. Folks, I want you to notice something about that vision of holiness. Jesus doesn't qualify. If that's what holiness is, then Jesus doesn't fit the bill. Friends, Jesus was a young man between 30 and 33 for the years of his public ministry. He smiled a lot and had a great time, lots of fun and celebration with his disciples. But if he had to get angry, if he had to raise his voice and kick over a table or two to make his point, he did it. You see, God does get angry when people oppress those whom he loves. Jesus got into trouble often and always. He didn't hesitate, you see, to go into the wrong places with the wrong kinds of people. He was perfect in every way, but he never, ever kept his distance from people who were far from perfect. You see, Jesus knew. He knew that, that sick people need a doctor. He'd come to heal them and to help them. Folks, I'm more and more convinced that I don't really yet understand Jesus' way of holiness. I don't think in, in the church collectively that we understand the holiness of God as well as we think we do. Hebrews is a wonderful New Testament book, and the writer spends the vast majority of his time telling us, if I could sum up Hebrews, the message in, in three words, it's just Jesus is brilliant. He tells us time and time and time again how wonderful Jesus is, how he's better than anything else in the whole universe. But in those opening verses which we read, the writer says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. Now listen to this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Did you get that? Jesus represents God perfectly. If you want to know what the holiness of God looks like, you look to Jesus. If we're running with any other vision of holiness in our heads, if we aspire to any other vision of, of godliness other than the one shown to us, revealed to us in God's Word, we are going wrong. Let it go. Jesus is the one who represents God exactly. He's the only one who can show us what holiness looks like in a human being.
I can remember a time as a young graduate when I'd just taken my first job with Coopers and Librand, the accounting firm. I had just been through an induction course in the firm, and we'd been, outed, uh, we'd been invited out to come on, on an end-of-course dinner. I can still remember the conversation I had with my mum just as I was going out through the door. Any of you who know my mum will smile as I, I tell you. I was going out the door, and the last thing she said to me, Christoph, you won't be having a drink at this party. I, I was really annoyed because I, I wasn't in the habit of drinking, so I, I didn't know where it came from. It came a, a little bit in from the side. I, I was annoyed, and I got into a bit of a heated debate with her. I said, Mom, why, why does it matter even if I do have a drink? And it was her answer that stuck with me. Oh, son, how else will they know that you're a Christian? Friends, I tell you that story not to illustrate anything on the issue of of alcohol. Put that behind you. I tell you that story to illustrate where our Ulster Christianity thinking on holiness is. We have made holiness into a long list of negatives. People who are holy are people who don't do this, don't do that, and don't do the other thing. We've made holiness also into a a matter only of secondary issues. Things like where you go and, and what you drink or what you wear. We have so little confidence in the positive holiness of God flowing from our lives and from the lives of Christian people. We have have no vision that God's holiness is a real and a dynamic and a wonderful thing that, that could be embodied in us. The conclusion I've come to is that we've actually given up on ever really being holy, and we've settled for being weird. People who have a sort of a a subculture This is how you know that a person is Christian. They don't go to these places. They don't eat or drink that. They wear these kinds of clothes. They shop in those kinds of shops. We've given up on holiness and we've settled for being just plain weird. Friends, God's word points us in a different direction. It says, if you want to be holy, look to Jesus. In the end, holiness is Christ-likeness. What God wants from His children is that they look like His Son, Jesus. Folks, as I've begun and I don't pat myself on the back. I'm I'm ashamed of how slow I've been to see this. But as I've begun to see what a biblical vision of holiness is, I find a new passion growing in me that was never there before. I want to be holy. If holiness isn't solely the domain of the retired If holiness isn't something about 
about being entirely otherworldly and living in a Christian ghetto, uh, if it isn't just about being weird, then suddenly I'm becoming interested. If holiness is about taking on more and more and more of the character of Jesus Christ so that, so that my actions begin, at least begin to look like the actions of Jesus, and my words begin on occasions to sound like the sort of things that Jesus would say, if that's what holiness is, that's what I want. I, too, want to be holy. And folks, if, if the Spirit of Jesus lives in us, if, if that Holy Spirit that we talk about it is already in us, then maybe it's true that, that this work that I'm talking about is already starting in our lives in some small way. And maybe what we need to do is to, to enter into that and look for all the ways in which we could, could welcome the Holy Spirit to, to be changing us and transforming us and making us more like Jesus. I have discovered that I do want to be holy because I know that I want to be like Jesus. We've been talking about the holiness of God this evening. We've been thinking about God's call to His people, be holy because I am holy. Can I make one suggestion as I close this evening? Stop looking anywhere else for a vision of how to live this Christian life, how to be a holy person, how to become the woman or the man that God wants you to be. Look to Jesus. Let Him teach you how to be separate, how to be distinct from the world. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to be separate from this world, but learn to do it in the way of Jesus. Let Him teach you what moral purity looks like, so that it's not a judgmental and a, and a restrictive and a frowning on other people kind of thing, but so that it becomes a, a dynamic and a wholesome and a wonderful gift to all those around us. Let Jesus make you like Him. Then you'll have a holiness that pleases our holy God when you take on Jesus. Let us pray.